Here we go. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. Thank you so much. Open those Bibles, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 3. The book of Acts chapter 3. If you're just catching up with us and what we've been doing since we've gotten home, we have gone through a series called When History Comes Home. And we are looking at the historical story of Jesus Christ. And is it more than just history? And we, several weeks back, we looked at this, the historical Jesus versus the resurrected Jesus. The Jesus in the Bible that we read about versus the Jesus that lives through us, in us, and to us, to other people. Because it's so easy to be religious and know the historical Jesus. Know the parables he taught, quote the scriptures, quote John 3.16. But then the resurrected Jesus, the Jesus who's still alive, the Jesus who makes his home in the believer's heart, we don't have a, a relationship with a resurrected Jesus and therefore it just becomes dead religion. It just becomes a bunch of stories. It just becomes things that we do to call church and to, like Ryan said, to check the box off. And so we've been going through looking at is what we are doing now in 2019 as Believer's Church. Is it the way God intended us to do it or are we off base? Are we doing what God wants us to do? Acts chapter 3 today. Let's read together. Here we go, starting in verse 1. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> Let me get there. Hang on. My, my, my app is being a little rude. So here we go. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 3. There's Acts. There's chapter 1, chapter 3. Here we go. All right, I'm in. In and on. Here we go. Verse th chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had, been, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. And they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. I want to talk to you in this story because it kind of unpacks a whole lot of what we do today, of what we call church, this thing that you and I call church today. It, it has an amazing testament to it. 
Because in the story, we have a guy on a random day named Peter. So obviously when the church started, it wasn't just a one-hour service once a week. It was just the middle of an afternoon. He's going to a temple to do what religious people do. Religious people go and pray. And in the temple, they would make sacrifices. They would make prayers. They would do their religious duties. They would check the boxes off. I've done my job. I did my duty for the day. I've made God proud of me. I've done everything in the checkbox of religion to feel good about myself and to feel like that, well, I've done a good deed, and so now I can go. That's kind of how the temple ran. It had been thousands and thousands of years going this way. Thousands of years, people going to give sacrifices, people going to be religious, people singing the hymns, singing the psalms, keeping the law, doing everything they do. But on this day, something's different because we get insight. And the insight is this. With all of the religious tradition going on, with all of the stuff that they were doing, the funny thing about it is they had zero power to change anything in the street. They had enough religion to change the guilty conscience, but not enough to do anything to the person that's broken. And so a lot of times today, what we call church is nothing more to appeal to guilty people to make them feel better about their guilty selves so God is not mad at them to go back out into this thing we call the hell of life and to live life as two different people. We live the life as the religious person on the weekend that's satisfying my religious duty to get God off my back so he's not ticked at me. And then the real me that's out here in the middle of the hell. And we repeat week after week, walking by broken people, walking by people that need hope and help because I'm in a system of religion that brings me into a building and causes me to feel better about myself with God Then to go back out here with no power, nothing in my soul, nothing in my life that attracts anyone to the life of God. Because what we've traded for, rather than the life of the believer being the attractional model of church, we have traded that the attractional model of the church is the program itself. It's the building itself. It's the production that we do. Uh, if you're in the church world, uh, there's even, and I'm not against this at all, but, but this is discussed among churchdom, that we even do church to appeal to people who don't know God. And that's ludicrous. The church was never intended to appeal to people who don't know God. People who don't know God don't want to get up on a Sunday morning and come hang out with a bunch of strange people singing words off of a TV they don't even know about a God they've never met before. And we we think that church is for those. We think that church is for the sinner. Church is not for the sinner. They don't want to come. They're out on they're they're out partying, having a good life. They're going to the beach, they're going fishing. They're just they're not God's not even on their mind. And so we're like, oh, we got to get together and do a service called church and have a production to appeal to people. We've got to attract people to our building, attract people to our service, attract people. We've got to put the cute people up front, sing real hip music, cool music. We got to make it really great and we got to we got to kind of contend with the world and make it so fancy and pr- production oriented that it would impress John Mayer if he walked in the room. And the reality is it was never supposed to be that way. 
The building was never supposed to attract the sinner. It was the place where the believer gathered to be filled up with the power of God. And then when I walk out into the world, I am the attractional model. My life is the attraction. People look at me and go, well, what's so different about you? Well, I've been with God. My life becomes their song. My life becomes their story. And we're trying to suck them in. Listen, most sinners don't want to come. As a matter of fact, most believers don't want to come. Look around. There's plenty of seats. It's hard enough to get a believer to come to the temple and worship. And, and we think we're going to sneak up on a sinner. Oh, if we just get them in the room and try our cookie. If we just get them in the room and blow them away with how good our music is. If we could just get them here singing about how good God is. If we could just sing, open up the gates. They don't even know what the gates are. I can lay my head in Sheol. They don't even know what the word Sheol means. We're all like, oh, that's so powerful. And they're like, what in God's name is Sheol? Because it was never intended to capture the sinner. The building was intended to refuel the believer. The gathering is to re-impurpose and invigorate you so you can walk back out and go out here and say, my life is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I make things salty when I walk in the room. I bring the light of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the love of Jesus into the room everywhere I go. I'm not asking you to be dumb. I mean, you bring a sinner here, this is weird. You bring them in the door, they don't know God, they're sitting here for the first time, and we're all like, Woo, glory, ee, amen, shout it, ah, come on, yeah, ah. And they're like, these people are weird. I mean, even though they do that in the world at their concerts, but in here it's just weird. And then you got to factor in the speaking in tongues, kitty mo, shoot a pecan down, shoot a ball to Kia, all those weird words we do. And then we slap people with oil and anoint them with oil. Like, oh man, I didn't want oil on my head. That just messed my makeup up. And we're all like, you know, doing the God thing. And it's so foreign to them. But then you, you end the foreign stuff and walk back out here and you become the clarity. Do you see the clarity of God is not the program. The clarity of God is me. Jesus in me brings the life to you. And yet we've just believed a lie. You know, because we're just in this little, well, every Sunday I go, I sing my songs. I do my duty, I give my money because I don't want God mad at me. Uh, and then I go back out here and oh, I just can't wait to get back to Sunday. Whew. Oh, and maybe, just maybe, they'll have a weekday service. Maybe, right? Nothing wrong with it. But as we go back and forth week after week, if we do come weekly, most don't, but if we do come weekly, we go week to week and really, if we're honest, it's nothing more than to check a box of my guilty conscience because God did save me and I do owe him something. So check it off and, and then I'll come back a few weeks later and do it again because after all, he did fix me and help me and save me and he fixed me and Robin and I'll check and here's 25 more bucks, God. Thanks, I'll see you in a few weeks. And then I go back out, I just live, I have fun, I enjoy my life, I go fishing, I go to the lake, I, I go to the beach, I, I hunt, I do, oh God, I'm kind of feeling guilty. Me and my wife fought, I better go back and be thankful again. And so I run back, okay, I'm back. 
Ooh, it's been rough. Oh. But I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. Oh, yeah, I, need, I forgot. I hadn't given you any money. Hey, look, thanks for that. Thanks for that job, and thanks for, thanks for helping my car get right there. There's that money, God. Hey, you keep doing what you do. It's kind of like God becomes our pimp, right? Like, like I'm out here just living my life. I'm out here just doing what I do, and then I come over here and give God my pimp money, all the money I've earned working, and I kind of just use him that way. Just, you know, hey, you bless me. Here you go. Kind of keep you off my back. Keep you kind of happy with me. And that's just ludicrous. The whole point of this thing called church is to be filled with his power. So when I go back out, I go, look, dude, I don't have anything. I don't have any money to give you. But what I do have, I have something that I've been over getting filled up last week. And I just want to tell you what I do have. Going to sound strange to you, but listen, I know you know me. And I'm just going to be gut level honest. What I do have is Jesus. Now let's unpack the story. Two guys are going into a temple to do religious stuff. They're going to pray. They're going to give offering. They're going to sing. They're going to worship. They're going to do community. What they've been doing for centuries. And the Bible says they laid this guy at the gate. He had been paralyzed from birth. He's never walked. He doesn't know what walking is. They've laid him at the gate. So powerful is the temple. The temple is so powerful, he has zero expectation. Zero. I'm not looking at you to heal me or deliver me. I just need you to hook a brother up with a $5 bill. Because I'm in a routine of my friends come every week. They have little expectation. They have no expectation there's a live God. They have no expectation that the God that brought Moses out can be the same God that meets you. The God that brought the the boat to Noah is the same God that can meet you. The guy that split the Red Sea is the same God that can meet you. No, those are just stories. And this guy is laid at a gate with all the religious people who know all the stories of the miracle powers that God did, now those are nothing more than religious stories because when they walk right by him, they're comfortable to throw him a quarter. Comfortable to do their religious duty. Well, here's your buck, my brother. Hope you get better tomorrow. Hey, as a matter of fact, I'll see you next week. I'll be back. And the weird thing about it is the guy at the gate has no expectation at all that there's any power. He just wants money. Hey, I'm just here for money. I think a lot of times the world is there. I think a lot of times the world has no expectation that church at all, a believer, can help them. No power at all. No expectation at all. I just need you to help me out. Give me some money. Take care of my superficial needs. And Peter walks by and Peter says, look, brother. And here's what's weird. Just think about this. If you're God, watch, they didn't bring the brother into the temple. That would have been cool. Like, oh, miracles happen here. No, they put the brother outside the temple. And I hear people say, I wonder why we don't see miracles in church. They're not supposed to happen in church. 
They're supposed to happen outside of church. Well, I just don't see anybody getting healed, maybe because you're not praying for them. Don't blame it on a church. And I think God even established the way it would do. I'm going to lay the broken on the outside while you go get filled up on the inside so you can come back out and unload your filling on them and they can know the power of God. Now watch, and once they know the power of God, bring them to the inside and make them part of the family. That's how it was supposed to work. It was supposed to work where I'm getting filled with God and then taking that in the street. So God gives us a great object lesson of this broken uh, guy that can't walk and Peter and John stop. In other words, for the first time in history, two brothers decided there's got to be more to it than this. Have you ever asked yourself that question about church? Surely there's more to it than this. Get up on a Sunday, put your best clothes on, brush your teeth, grab a Bible, and go sit and try to stay awake for an hour. And then go home. And let's try to pull that off. I think there's just a lot in believers, we just don't have any expectation. But thank God two dudes just stopped and said, now wait a minute. We see this guy here every day. Every, every day for years, he's been here. He's still the same. Maybe they scratched their head that day and thought, why isn't something? I thought what we believed was... Like, like, I'm coming to church every single week, but my marriage is not better. I'm coming to the temple all the time, but nothing's changing. I'm giving my money, I'm singing my songs, I'm doing everything the preacher tells me to do. I'm serving, I've gone to their classes, I've jumped through their hoops, I've become a member, I'm a tither, I'm an elder, I've done everything they've told me to do. And don't you ever ask yourself, if we're really doing what we're supposed to be doing, why are so many people still broken? Is anybody stopping before we go in on Sunday and go, what are we doing about this? What are we doing about this right here? Like, a, like, it's only like five feet away. Like here we're worshiping God. Five feet away is a big problem. Is anybody in here asking about this problem? Is anybody in here going, why can't we do something about it? But they were doing something about it. What they were doing is they were coming by and acknowledging there he is and throwing him a buck. If he wasn't making money, they wouldn't have kept bringing him back. So now the beauty is, I've believed a lie. Come in, get filled up, kick a buck, go live life. Come back, get filled up, kick a buck, go live life. So that really, if we're not careful, rather than the church being the power of God, the church just becomes another social program. We just kick a buck. But do we ever ask ourselves... Aren't we supposed to be more than just the Red Cross? Aren't we supposed to be more than just a social program? Aren't we supposed to be more than a country club? More than just you're a member now and now you belong to my club? We're supposed to be the power of God. 
And the devil knows that. So what he does is he just deceives it. And now the church is a religious gathering of religious people trying to attract sinful people to come to a religious mindset while the whole time kicking a buck to ease my guilty conscience. And we want to know, why is abortion so rampant? Why is all this hell in our nation? Why all this stuff? Maybe because we're coming to church and kicking a buck rather than having power. Rather than going, God, if you can use anything, use me. But, but here's, what, here's where it's really the problem, because that preach is easy, right? Like, you can use me, oh, God's using me. But the reality of it. Okay, man. Oh, God, I don't, God, I don't got any cash. I don't have any. And I think that's beautiful, too. Because I think what God in that story, when he goes, look, I don't have any money. I think what God is telling us is that how easy it is to let money be the answer we think people need. Like if we just had enough money in this church, do you know what we could do with enough money? Oh, if we had enough money, we could just build, we could pay this debt off. Oh, if our offerings were bigger, we could hire more people. Do you know if we made enough money what we could do in the community of Believer's Church? If we just had $500,000, we had money. Do you know what we could do with money? Yeah, I'll tell you what you could do with money. The same thing the government does, the same thing Red Cross does, the same thing Goodwill does, become a social program. But what if we said, we don't have a dime, but we want to change Douglasville? But we're a bunch of broke people that don't have a lot of money. So what are we going to do? Oh, preacher, just pray I win the lotto. Because if I do, you know I'll tithe. You know, I, you're lying. You don't even give $5 now. You, you're not going to give $22 million, right? You can't even kick a buck. So, but that feels good. Oh, if I could just win the lotto, if I just had more money to do more. And I think God gave us this to say you don't need more money. You need the faith of God to use you. You can be broke and God use you. Right? I mean, oh man, the church, we believed that money is the answer and it's not the answer. Oh, it's good. I hate being broke. I've been broke. I don't like it at all. There was a time when we were going through the transition. I was having weekly conversations. Well, well somebody's not getting paid this week because we don't have enough money. So that's not fun. But yet at the same time, money's not the answer. But yet I come over here and get filled up with God. I kick a buck and then I run chase money. Man, I work 50, 60, 70 hours a week chasing my dreams, my stuff. And then I run back over here. Oh, kick a buck. All right. I raise a hallelujah. Mm, thank you, God. Good to see you, too. Good to see you. Oh, I missed you, too. Ah. Oh, da, da, da. Oh. oh, kick a buck. Okay. Oh, work, 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 fish, hunt, uh, do all the stuff we do. And now we're in the rut of religion. Nobody knowing God through me. Nobody meaning power in God gives us this story. It's not just a story that looks cute. It's a story to establish what the church is supposed to do. And so he says, look, dude, I don't have anything to give you. But what I do have. Hallelujah. <laughs> but that's hard to say. Because what I do have, I don't have right now. Because I haven't been in the temple in a while. I really don't have much to give you because I'm running on empty myself. You see, it's hard to give what you don't have. That was the whole point. I can't give you what I don't have. 
So maybe the reason the guy's just laying there so long is because nobody has anything to give him. There's just no power. Even Paul says in the last days, we'll have a form of godliness but zero power. The whole point of the Holy Spirit last two weeks was to get us out into the street to be the life of God. It wasn't to sit in a building and go, Rojo, bambre, hikara. I'm a tongue talker, but he didn't give me the power of tongues to come in a building to talk in tongues. He gave me the power of the Holy Spirit to go speak the language of God to the world in which I live. We said that a couple of weeks ago. And so now here he is. I don't have anything. I think that's just a good place to be. Like, I'm a, you know, I'm not bragging on myself, but I'm just a big giver. I you know, I just love giving. I just, five, dollar, ten, you know, just whatever. I've just learned to give. And so, especially when I go to Atlanta, like, I attract homeless people. Like, they just know, here he comes, he's got money, ask him. And so, they walk up, and they, hey, brother, can you help, can you help me? And then they go on this long litany. And so now I'm just, I don't even ask. They don't even tell me a story how much you need. And they well, I just need to get something to eat. And so I give them a five, give them a ten. I walk a few more feet. Me and Robin were on our birthday a few months ago. And about every block, another homeless person, hey, can you help me out? Yeah, hang on a minute. Here's a ten. And Robin said, she said, don't you care what they're going to do with it? And I was like, well, no, not really. I mean, if I was hungry, I wish somebody kicked me ten bucks. And then I go down the street and... Finally, a guy stops me and he goes, hey, man, can you help me? And I'm like, hey, dude, I'm sorry. You two guys down there got all my money. I gave it all away. But because I'm on a date, because we're out on the street, and I suddenly with him have nothing because you two brothers got what I had, now instead of going, hey, wait a minute, I don't have 10, but I have something else. Oh, no, I didn't do that. No, I just kept going. Sorry, I can't help you. It's not because I'm afraid of God or them or people or ashamed of Jesus. It's just I found a lot of times it's just easier to do religion than to be relational. It's just easy to kick a buck than it is to stop and you're telling yourself, he's not going to care anyway. Even if you led him to Jesus, you got to disciple him. And so we just go about life. Hopefully somebody else will save his soul. Right now I'm out of money and i got to go on a date. Now here's what's weird. Peter says, I don't have anything but what I do have in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Now here's what I can take away from that. He said, what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. That immediately... <laughs> immediately put every one of you in the category, this could be me. This could be me. It doesn't take extraordinary faith. It doesn't take being an apostle. It just takes somebody saying, well, what's in me could come out of me to touch what's in you to change you. What's in me could come out of me to touch what's in you to change you. I just have to believe that because he said... I don't have anything but what I do have in the name of Jesus. Now that tells me right there that it is free to anybody that would dare believe that. It's the name of Jesus. So then here's where it gets really weird. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And then instead of walking away going, hey, I did a little more. I actually prayed for the brother. I did more than just kick a buck. 
I stopped and took time with him. That's the next level of religion. I not only kicked a buck, I petted him on the head. I said a prayer. I blessed him with my blessing because I have the blessing of the Lord. Bless you, brother. No, he went a step further. He, this is what I read in the story. He reached down and picked him up. Get up on your feet and picked him up. A guy that has never stood on his feet ever. A guy that doesn't even know how his legs are going to work. And to tell him to walk, he doesn't even know what walking is because he's never done it before. His brain can't even communicate, put a right foot and then a left foot. And then a right foot, he doesn't even know. He's never had to use that part of his brain. But Peter, in boldness, picks him up and says, stand up on your feet. And when he stands up on his feet, now is the real kicker of 50 feet. Because you will either be embarrassed or vindicated. Because if I let him go and he crashes down, I'm going to look like an idiot. Here's the moment. It's a lot easier just to leave him there and go, well, be blessed. But to be so bold to grab him and pick him up off of his feet. Stand up. And then in a moment's time, the Bible said immediately his bones, his legs begin to come. His feet, his ankle bones begin to pop. And I love the next verse. And it said, and he was strengthened. Meaning he's not going to need years to practice walking. The power was so big that after never being able to walk or balance or stand up, the Bible says he goes walking. And he goes leaping. And he goes praising God. And he goes walking. And he goes leaping. And he goes praising God. So maybe the reason we don't see power, I'm not willing to be embarrassed. Maybe the reason there's no power happening in the world, I don't want to be embarrassed. I, I, don't, I don't want to pray and then nothing happen. I don't want to go out here and go, well, you know God will take care of that migraine, I think. I mean, I think he will. I tell you what, just in case you don't, here's some exciting migraine. And that's what we do. Because most people have not spent enough time with God to feel guaranteed enough that God could do it. I mean, we know he might, but he probably won't do it for me. Because I'm not religious enough. I'm not special enough. And so rather than remotely being embarrassed, I'm just like, here's what we do. All right, oh, filled up with God. Oh, kick a buck. Oh, hey, and by the way, just want you to know, I pray for you every day. Amen. There's no embarrassment in that. I pray for you every day. That's the easy way out. Versus, you got a migraine. Yeah. Okay, dude. I have not got any Excedrin. I got some weed out in the car, but I can't go get it right now. But, right? I mean, but here's the deal. I believe in Jesus. We'll go out on a limb here. I believe that he's still alive. I believe he still heals. And if you would dare let me, I would like to pray for you, and that migraine is going to go away. Oh, Mark, now. Oh, 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 oh. How could you dare lead him on like that? I just believe. 
I believe if I lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. I've spent time with him, and he's talked to me, and he told me to be ready today. He was going to give me an opportunity, and I, I, I perceive this is my opportunity. Oh, oh, Peter didn't heal every lame person laying around, and we know there's a lot of them. But today, this was my opportunity. I'm not asking you to go heal everybody. I'm not asking you to pray for every migraine. I'm just asking in your religious duty, will you stop long enough to go, hey, this might be the opportunity. This person right here might be the person God wants to invade. So I'm going to have to take a risk. All right, I pray, Father, touch that migraine. Heal him in Jesus' name. Hey, how does that feel? Oh, it still hurts. God, I knew it. I just knew it. That's stupid me. Stupid, I can't bear it. Right? Or how does that feel? Well, it still hurts. Oh, let me go find you some Advil. Hang on. Even Jesus in one part of Scripture had to pray twice. Jesus, the Son of God himself. Can you see anything yet? Well, kind of like trees. All right, let's go round two here, baby. Pray for you again. How many of you have enough faith that if your first prayer doesn't work, you won't get so embarrassed, you'll walk away, but you'll say, well, hang on, let me pray one more time. How many of you are that willing to be embarrassed that if your first prayer doesn't work, you might hang around long enough to go, you mind if I try one more time? I mean, really? What it comes down to is a lot of times the reason we don't see power is I'm just too selfish to try it. I'm too selfish to be embarrassed. I'm too prideful to, oh, even remotely look like I'm an idiot. I don't want to look crazy. I don't want them to think I'm a nut. I don't want to think I'm some fanatic. I'm not asking you to be a fanatic. I'm just asking will you carry the life of Jesus such as I have given thee. And then here's where it stings probably the most. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Yay, look at me. I just healed the dude. Oh, I'm going to start a ministry now and get an Instagram. Holy smoke, I'm going to get a bunch of followers now. I'm going to write a book. The reason a lot of us don't is because the end of the verse says, and he went into the temple, followed them around, and he was clinging to them. A lot of times the reason we don't want to stop and minister is because it requires responsibility of me now. They're going to cling to me? Ugh, I don't have time for this. I just wanted to pray and go on. I am busy. I've got a lot to do and now you're clinging to me. Get off my leg. Ah, I just wanted to pray and feel better about myself. Stop clinging on my leg. i got to go. And a lot of times that's Christianity today. Walk in the door, do church, come out the door, kick a book, quit clinging on my leg. I got stuff to do. I got to go to the park. I got to take the kids. I don't have time for broken people to be clingy. I don't have time for some divorced person to sit on my couch for four hours. I got stuff to do. And what it teaches me, a true Christian is going to say, look, if you're really being Jesus, you're going to attract some clingy people. You're going to attract some people to go, hey, can you go to lunch with me today and tomorrow and the next day? Hey, can I come over? Can I talk to you? They're going to call you at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning. They're going to want breakfast with you, lunch, dinner, and supper with you. But if you're so busy, I don't need clingy people. No wonder there's no power. It takes effort. It, it takes responsibility. 
And it's just so easy. I'm not trying to beat the horse here, but it's just so easy to just kick a buck, sing a song, kick a buck. God, quit clinging on me. I don't have time. It's easy. That's why people aren't flooding in the doors of church today. Because we don't know how to own the 50 feet. We're not the light of the world. I love what somebody told me after first service today. She said, oh, Pastor Mark. I said, yeah. She said, whew, I've been owning my 50 feet. I said, well, I'm proud of you. What have you been doing? She said, well, I'm down to 10 cuss words. (laughs) Don't you love it? Don't you just love it? She said, I cussed all the time. She said, I just was a cusser. She said, it's just normal. She said, it's just part of my everyday use. It's just how I talk, I cuss. She said, but this week I've been counting. I'm down to 10 words only. I said, glory to God. You're owning your 50 feet. It might start eight inches in your mouth, but if you've gone from 48 cuss words to 10, honey, you're owning your 50 feet. Keep on owning it. Keep on owning it. Don't get beat up that because you cuss, God can't use you. Just keep owning it and letting the Holy Spirit use you. Then I love what she said. She said, do you know what I've noticed? I said, what? She said, I have noticed every day at work, people come to my office and just dump their garbage on me. And she said, I've been listening to you teach about 50 feet. She said, do you know what I've noticed now? I said, what's that? She said that them dumping on me is my ministry. And she said, now every person that comes in the door, I'm like, this is my ministry. How awesome is that? What would happen if all of us got there? Oh, no, we're too religious. you got to totally quit cussing before God uses you. No, I'd rather have a woman say, I'm down to 10 cuss words, getting people in the kingdom all the time, than somebody over here who doesn't even burp out loud because they're so religious and nobody's knowing God. Right? And so I just love, I mean, it just made me feel so good. Like people are getting it because sometimes as a preacher you wonder, do we get it? And I'm not saying that to you. I'm even saying it to myself because sometimes I'm too busy. Sometimes I'm like, quit clinging. I got, I got to go. Robin's needing me at home. I got to go to the gym. Quit clinging on me. Get, I know that just shocks some of you like I go to the gym, but I do. I know it, just, it doesn't look at it at all. But, you know, I I mean, I love Jesus. I'm just being as transparent as I can. There are times I would rather kick a buck than pray. There are times I'd rather wipe my leg and go, quit clinging, I'm busy right now. There are times I'd rather just come and check the box off and do my religious duty and then just live my life casually. And so even me, uh, you know, leading this house, I have to have the Holy Spirit say, come Holy Spirit, help me every day. Help me not to just get religious. Help me to see the need. Help me to see the opportunity. Help me not be so busy that I'm just willing to kick a buck. Help me to know to open my mouth. Help me to be willing to be embarrassed. Help me to be willing to pray twice if I need to pray twice. Help me, God. I'm doing that myself. I'm just asking the same from you. Would you do it? I don't want to do it by myself. I'm not trying to grow a mega church. I'm trying to grow a mega person. I want you to be mega. I want you to be doing the work of the ministry. I want God to be using you every day. I want you to come and say, Pastor Mark, man, I've been owning my feet. Let me tell you, this is my ministry now. I had no clue this is what God would call me to do. 
Let's read a scripture and we'll end. 1 Corinthians 13. Because I want to tell you just in a simple way. How can you attract people to you? I mean, we do know that the guy sitting at the gate is basically attracted to anybody that walks by. As long as they have money, there's hope. But how can you, that you may live a frustrated life, you may go out the door mad one day, you may have had an argument at home, you may be busy and in a hurry, and you're just not really thinking, am I attracting people? You may not look in the mirror every morning on your way out and go, do I see God in me? Because that's what I've started doing for myself. I just ask that question of myself. When I look in the mirror, I'm thinking, do I see God in me? Is there anything in me that would attract somebody else to God? Let's read 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all God's secret knowledge, and plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. Are you getting that? Like if I was as religious as religious could be, but I didn't love people, it's useless. If I could move mountains with my faith and raise dead people, I'd be on TV. He says, no, that's just useless if you don't have love. Then he goes on to say this. This is me. This stung me. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Now here's the attractional model. Love is patient and kind. Is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy, speaking in tongues and unknown languages, and special knowledge will become useless, but love lasts forever. Let's read it one more time. Am I patient? If not, I'm not attracting people. Am I kind? If not, everything you do is useless. Am I being jealous of other people, their money, their looks, their body, their status, their whatever? Well, then you're not being attractional. Do you boast about yourself? Are you prideful? Hey, how about this one? This is pretty good. This covers all of us, including me. Are you rude? Because if you are, tither or not, Worshipper or not, if you're rude, you're nothing. Because that's love. And without it, you're nothing. I wonder how much we've traded off saying we love God, but in truth, I'm still rude. Oh, wait, and if you demand your way, you're nothing. If you're irritable, you're nothing. If you keep records of wrong, you're nothing. My Lord, I flunked the whole exam. That's what I'm thinking while I'm reading. I'm like, I flunked the whole test. Keep no record of wrong. You must be kidding me. It does not rejoice about injustice. But listen, I love it. Verse 7. Never gives up. Never loses faith. 
always hopeful, and endures in every circumstance. What would happen if we walked out the door today filled with the power of God and said this week, I refuse to be rude, I refuse to be selfish, I refuse to be unkind, I refuse to do life my way, I refuse to be jealous, I refuse anything to be irritable toward people, I refuse to live a selfish, prideful lifestyle. So therefore, God, if you can use anything, Lord, please use me. What would happen if we did that this week? I wonder how many times I come to the temple to be filled with God, but when I walk back out, love was left in the temple. And I am rude, and I am unkind, and I am frustrated, and I am irritated. Life bothers me. People bother me. Stuff bothers me. Do unto me, and I'll do unto you. You're rude to me. I'll be rude to you. And then I come back over here. Oh, Father, please forgive me. I just had a bad week. We have to step up and say, are we being who God called us to be? Because if we put ourselves out here in the world and what, 80 of us, 90 of us go out this week and everyone in the room says this, this week I'm going to look for my opportunity to shine. This week I'm going to let love rule the day. This week I'm going to make sure that I'm being extra kind because I don't know if that's going to be my opportunity I'm going to make sure I'm not rude. And oh, by the way, Lord, if you can use anything, use me. Bow your head. Ponder in your heart for a minute. Are you stuck in that religious rut? Here's the rut. Every other week or so, I show up at church. I write a check. I leave. I go live my life. That's a rut. A rut is doing the same thing and when you leave, you leave very passionate but you're not showing love to other people. Love is not the governing force of your life. You're frustrated a lot, irritated a lot, mad a lot, ticked off a lot. Are you spending a lot of time in front of the mirror checking your hair, checking your body, checking lipstick, checking dress, checking everything? But do you take time to look in the mirror and say, do I see God in me? Do I see something in my life that would attract other people to God, to Jesus? If you're married, you can just ask your spouse. They'll tell you. Is there something in my life that attracts people to know more about Jesus? Or you could ask them the harder question. Honey, do you see something in my life that would repulse people from knowing Jesus? A way that I act? Something that I do. Maybe you want to ask them even deeper. Do you see something in me that makes you question my relationship with Jesus? Would you be so bold this week to walk out of church today? And rather than just being a person that kicks a buck and offers a prayer, would you be willing to maybe be embarrassed to take a little longer, to linger a little longer? Would you be willing to pray twice instead of once? Would you be willing to risk it? Would you be willing to let Jesus, let your life bring hope to another person? Your story bring hope to their story. Would you dare be willing to do that? Would you dare be willing to own your 50 feet, to look inward at your own self 
Am I attracting people to Jesus? Yes or no? If I find areas not, then Father, forgive me. May those areas never be seen in my life that would turn people away from you. And maybe as the lady told me today in the first service, I'm not a shepherd that's asking you to be perfect. I'm a shepherd that's just simply asking you, will you dare be bold? And for you, that may be just what she said. Hey, I'm on in my 50 feet because I'm not cussing near as much as I used to. Hey, and I'm also realizing everything I thought was frustration at work, I'm realizing this is my ministry. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to become a little more like Jesus every day. I'm asking you to show a little more of His love every day. I'm asking you to stop and pause in your day to ask God, is this my opportunity? I'm asking you to wake up every day and say, God, let me not miss my opportunity today. I'm asking you to be bold and be willing to reach your hand down and say, hey, I'll pray once. No, matter of fact, I'll pray twice, maybe three times. That's how much faith I have. I want to wake up and be a hope dealer. I want to wake up and give people hope for life. I want to wake up and let people know there's an answer. I don't want to bring hopelessness around. Would you do that this week? People are waiting. People need you. People in your sphere of influence all around you. You may have their face now, their name now. It may happen on the golf course. It may happen at the grocery store. It may happen online. It may happen through an email, a phone call. It may happen at a red light. It may happen at the gym. It may happen at a sporting event. It may happen at work. But would you dare be willing before you dive into the temple? Would you dare be willing to stop and pause? Would you dare be willing to hold a moment and say, wait a minute, this could be my chance for God to use me today. Oh, if you'll do it, you'll see great benefits. And you'll come in the door and say, I'm realizing right where I'm at is my ministry. God is using me to bring life to other people. And then when they come to know the Lord, they can come to the temple, the house of God. We can worship together, become part of a big family together. So Father, today, I ask you to speak to us. If you need to have a moment with Jesus and say, that's me, God, forgive me. I'm in that religious rut, forgive me. Oh, he does. He holds nothing against you. Father, help me to be bold. He will. Father, if you can use anything, use me. He will. Give him a chance. Lord, today I bless our time. I bless the word that we've heard. I pray all week long. Every time we look in a mirror, we will hear the words. Do I see anything in me that would attract people to God? I pray, God, everywhere we go this week, that we'll remember this story about Peter, that we'll stop and take time. I pray we'll remember it. In Jesus' precious name, do you say amen? Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message.